purpose is transforming the world of work and business. Those leading the way are values-based and people-focused leaders who see business as a force for good. Host Kevin Monroe explores how tapping into the power of purpose infuses your business with meaning and touches the lives of your employees while positively impacting the communities you serve. With the Higher Purpose Podcast, here's Kevin Monroe. Welcome to episode 84 of the Higher Purpose Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Monroe. And if you've been listening for a while, you know we're enjoying exploring topics that you might not hear on other podcasts, especially business-focused podcasts. We talk about stuff like love, belonging, meaning, purpose, meaningful work. And I start by asking guests what they're grateful for. Recently, and I love this, some of you started responding and telling me what you're grateful for. You gotta know that I absolutely love that because you are part of every conversation that happens here on this podcast. There's always an extra chair at the table or in the circle, and I love it when you join in And they're bonus points when you shout out in some way to let me know that you've joined in. Like recently, Tyler from Tiny Pulse posted that he was having lunch with Kevin and Renee Smith. He was listening to episode 80. High five, Tyler. Then my new pal, Amy Blaska, she was listening to the conversation with Claude Silver on her flight to the No Longer Virtual Conference where Amy and I were privileged to meet for the first time. Then there was just Friday afternoon, Jason Mucci texted me to share more of the waves and ripples of the podcast in his life and work. I just love, love, love that. So to today's episode, this conversation, we're continuing what it means to live, love, lead, to work and serve in a human's first fashion. And Brooke Errol is joining us today. So Brooke, she joined just a few days after the Humans First Club LA meeting. She was still buzzing from that. We talk about that a little. Brooke helps leaders from around the world lead from purpose. She's a Humans First Club presenting member, speaker, author, coach, consultant. But my favorite label for Brooke is friend. Let's get started. Welcome, Brooke Errol. What a delight to have you join us today and add to the conversations we're having here on the Higher Purpose Podcast about humans first. So this is going to be awesome. Great. Great to be here, Kevin. Thank you for inviting me. I'm really honored. Thank you. Oh, gosh, we're both honored, okay? I'm honored to have you. You're honored to be here. It's just such a delight. And before we dive into this conversation, Brooke, I just love asking everyone this. What is something that you are grateful for in this moment? So much, but I would say my mind is so much with this conversation that I would say I feel grateful to have an amazing tribe all around the world who believes in the stuff that we do because I didn't have that years ago. So I'm very present to that. I don't take it lightly and I appreciate everybody that I meet who is in this conversation with me like you. So I would say that. And I'm going to echo that. And I was speaking with someone earlier today and they asked a question. I said, you know, the thing that amazes me about this Humans First family and this tribe, this is the most generous and humble group of people I've connected with, Brooke. 
I so agree with that. That is definitely comes with what we believe in, I think, and what we preach. So I totally understand that. And I echo that too. Yeah, yeah. All right. So we're recording this conversation just a few days after the Humans First Club meeting in LA, where you were one of the presenting members. So Brooke, let's start with what are the thoughts, the feelings, the emotions that are lingering in your heart or mind from that session? Yeah, thanks for asking. Yes, it's still very fresh in my mind, but also in my heart. And I would say it's great to be one of the speakers and I love all the other speakers that were with me. But I think what stays with me the most is the conversations that we have with attendees because it's not really about us. We want to start the conversation going for them. But it was, again, amazing to watch and listen to people who opened up their really their hearts. They were very vulnerable with where they are at work in their own situation and also saying it out loud, what they felt about what they heard, what Mm -hmm. resonated with them and had these questions and comments about how to take it back home, back to their workplace and how they want to carry this message along. And to our surprise, even as speakers, we got together after the event to have dinner and talked about some of the things we heard. I think what stayed with us the most is they already called us their tribe. Mm-hmm. Just being with us for just a couple of hours, we've met with most of them for the first time, mm-hmm. and they immediately felt like this is a tribe that they want to belong to. Mm-hmm. And not only for those couple of hours, but to stay in that relationship, mm-hmm. to have more conversations like this. So I think that is really always so heartwarming to see, but it also, I think, verifies What we already know, there's a lot of hunger about talking about these topics, human first, in the workplace. So that's what I'm very present to from that event. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I think... I think people know they're part of the tribe before they ever get to the meeting, right? (laughs) Probably true. That's true. There's just something in the messaging that resonates with people and attracts. That's something I'm watching is... However you understand the law of attraction, but I just believe, Mm -hmm. when I think of the law of attraction, I think of attracting like-minded and like-hearted people. And our friend Mike, Mike Vacanti, who's the founder of the Humans First Club, has just been this huge magnet to attract people. And it has this open source feel about it, right? Where everyone's welcome. Yes. I think Mike said to me the other day in a conversation, this will be the least exclusive club you'll ever be a member of. (laughs) True. He says that all the time. And he always also emphasizes it's not his club. I mean, it belongs to all of us. And all those messaging, like you said, definitely is attracting the right kind of people. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Yeah, he did an amazing job. Hmm. So from where you sit and what you see in your work, and I want to dive into that in a little bit, you know, because this is the Higher Purpose podcast. So if we can't talk about purpose here, Brooke, (laughs) we're in trouble. But from where you sit and what you see, why is there this increased hunger and thirst for work to be more humans first? 
I see a lot of different reasons what brought us here today. I think one of them is definitely like the reinventing organizations book talks about that in a very eloquent way. I think how our consciousness level increases over time. And every time our consciousness level increases, the way we lead organization changes too. So first of all, purpose, and that's why I'm, of course, drawn to your podcast because my life is really all around the purpose keyword, but it seems like purpose was always there, right? It's nothing of a new concept, but why we are so aware of it is, is because we now realize that's a really intrinsic yearning in all of us. Yes. We knew that, but it was more in our subconscious but now as we get more self-aware, we read a lot, we know more, and we know more of what doesn't work in the workplace. I always call it like work as we know it does not work anymore, right? <laughs> I think we all sense it in a way, in some level or not. So sensing that, increasing the consciousness, knowing that like this is an intrinsic yearning, all of us being more aware of it. And also science making us more aware of it because positive psychology, neuroscience is looking into our behavior and why we act in certain ways, why we get more motivated or engage at work. All of that still points back to something more meaningful in our lives. And we understand more and more that we can't separate ourselves between work and personal life, which never worked for me. That's why I got into this type of work, actually, because that in my first job, I was expected to do that. Okay, leave yourself, your personal life at the door. And I was thinking, what? How do I even do that? So I think all of that is big contribution to where we are today. And that's why there's so much hunger. And we know the 150 plus years that we spent in the industrial mindset is definitely not working anymore and more so with the new generation. So there's something that's got to change. And I think we're all looking into ways of doing that. Hmm. Okay. So let's talk about you a moment, your path. What's yes. the path that led you to being involved with this humans first or human centered humans first. Isn't the only label humans sure. first is the label that's connected us and then adopted, but, but however you're defining this, you that's listening, whether it's human-centered, whether it's, as our friend Renee Smith says, making work more human, yes. whatever that is, what's yes. the path that brought you into the fold? Yeah, thank you for asking, because I think we all have our stories, and I love to hear other people's stories where you talk to them in your podcast, so thank you for doing that. But mine was like, really, I did get the formula that's given to us, especially people around my age, like get good grades, good school, good job. That's done there, right? I got to do all of that and I had this great job at IBM and I was like, okay, I was supposed to be happy because everything looked great on paper and I was for a while, but then because I was born in the wrong time, I always say I'm a millennial born 25 years early, but really early on in my early 20s, I started asking, okay, what is my purpose of working here? You know, I was doing account management, preparing proposals, building these trustworthy relationship with my clients. So those are my daily tasks, but I had to connect it to mm -hmm. something bigger. And nobody was talking about purpose at the time. So I was really weird in that point of my life, but I had to find it for myself. And I asked that like, and found it on my own. I said like, probably what I'm trying to do here is 
to make sure that I bring the best technology to my clients through IBM so that they serve their clients in the best way possible. Was that the right one? I don't know, but that's what I came up with. Mm -hmm. And even making that connection of what you're doing on a daily basis, repetitive task to something bigger like that made me feel like I had some kind of a sense of relief. Oh, wow. What I do on a daily basis proposals, customers is really more than that. There's so much more to my work than that. And it made me feel better, but... Then the next question was, okay, is this what you want to do with the rest of your life? Because at the time, people expect you to have the same job forever until you retire, right? And that, the answer to that question was a resounding no. I know that wasn't why I was born. Was that a bad purpose? No, but it wasn't aligned with who I was. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's how the whole journey started. But then I didn't know what my purpose was, but that question stayed with me over some other jobs that I had. But I did really quit a very good paying job, which everything seemed good on paper, my job at IBM. I tried different things, but I kept on asking what's my purpose mm-hmm. until I found through a coach that helped me is that I want to really make people be more happy at work. All the things that didn't work for me, it wasn't aligned or just what I was mentioning before. Oh, leave yourself at the door, bring your professional self or working for weekends only. People were always happy Fridays, really dreadful on Mondays. That never worked for me. How am I going to like, waste a big chunk of my life. I'm spending most of my waking hours at work and not like it. Forget about loving it. I should at least like it, right? So all of that brought me here. Of course, there's more to the story, but that's how it all started. And I always ask these questions to myself. So now that's why I said, this is what I'm grateful for because I had nobody to talk to about this. Mm. Now I have this tribe and a lot of other tribes where we're talking about these every single day. So isn't that amazing? Isn't it is. that amazing? Yeah, it is. So Brooke, I'm grateful. I'm like you. I feel like I was born out of time, but my father was even born out of, my father would be a hundred years old if he were living this year. Uh Uh And my father had the sense, and I remember this as a teenager, that my father would say to me, Kevin, you spend most of your waking hours working. Find something you love. Good for him. Wow. And I look back at that and I go, okay, my dad was, I didn't know this until after my dad passed away. That he never finished school. He was kind of ashamed of that, but he got a GED. You know, he's in that generation. His Mm -hmm. father was disabled. The boys went to work to care for the family. And then later in life, he got his GED. But my father was a wise man. Wow. It is. He may not have been greatly well educated in the academic sense, but he was a wise man. And I'm so grateful that he just deposited that in me and then supported what folks like you and I've done left the security of corporate world to say there's something else out there. Yes. Yes. Wow. That's amazing. Like you said, we are be like maybe ahead of some of our times that we lived in, but look at him. And I always believe it has nothing to do with your academic knowledge. It's really something else that you know, which is really of being part of human being really good for him and good to have a dad like that. So great. So, okay, so how do you express your purpose today? Is that still the understanding you have? 
Yeah, I would say so. Like at first I started helping people who are really miserable at work and didn't like what they did. But then I wanted to have a bigger impact. So that's why I started my second business, Purposeful Business, based on that, where I feel like I help organizations really reinvent themselves and grow. But it's created on a foundation of purpose. And when that is the case, usually profit becomes the byproduct, not mm. the main goal. And it's not only the shareholders who win, it's all the stakeholders win out of that. And we have, thank God, amazing examples of that nowadays because we know it works. It's not because Brooke believes it can happen. We have really good proof of that. So that's Okay, so I want to unpack a couple of these, Brooke. Sure. I mean, what you just said there, you know, we are not Pollyanna-ish to believe that purpose trumps everything and that companies that do purpose do it at the expense of profit. Yes. But many purposeful companies have found profit increases as a byproduct. So it's just kind of getting the things in the right order. Yes. So what's a company you admire and for that, and then maybe what's a company you know that you've seen their journey and how they've made the shift? Yes. So thank you. There's many, but like the first one that pops into my head because I finished like the Everybody Matters book from Bob Chapman. So Barry Way Miller is definitely a great example because that's not how he started. And that's not the way he was thinking as a CEO of the company. But over time, again, with more consciousness, with more listening to his people, he found out that really what touches people's hearts is really, even at work, is about who they are and how they contribute and how they contribute to a bigger purpose. And there even they become with a declaration called, I won't be able to say exactly the same words, but they really measure their success by the people's lives that they touch. And they are manufacturing company, they have nothing to do with this, but that's what guides them every single day. And when you read their story in Everybody Matters, you see the transformation that's happening and how everybody feels like they really happen. They feel like human first before they become a number or a tool. And they have really exemplified how much of a profit you can make Mm -hmm. and how a profit become the byproduct, not the main goal of a company. So there are many other companies, but that is an amazing, amazing example to watch. And that's how they still are at work and they do amazing stuff in the world just by creating that culture. So, so Bob, if you're listening, you have an <laughs> invitation to join me. I've got him on the list. I want to have Bob yes. join us here yes. on your purpose podcast. Cause I know there's such a rich, beautiful story there. Correct. Another one that people are familiar with that I love and we just, recently lost Herb Kelleher from Southwest Airlines. Of course. But, you know, from the beginning had this different mindset that if we put our people first, our people will take care of our customers, our customers will take care of our profits. Yes, and that's so true. And I'm a big fan of Southwest. If I'm flying domestically, they I only and exclusively fly Southwest because I want to spend my money where I believe in too. And the way they treat their people and they how they didn't lay off anyone, even in the hardest times, they stuck together and they have more and more fans like me because we want to support organizations yeah. like that. We want to be consuming their services. So. Yeah, amazing example for sure. So 
if making work more human is the answer, so this is a thing I think about, you know, making work more human is kind of like either this big tent or this overarching umbrella. And there's several concepts that are under that purpose is one of those. But if if making work more human is the answer, what's the problem business leaders are dealing with today? I think there's several, but as I speak more and more around the world in the United States, what I see as the biggest challenge most of them face is they don't know how to motivate and deal or attract and retain the new generation. That's the biggest one that I see and hear everywhere because we know they value different things than the generations before them. And I think most of leaders do not know how to do that yet. So that's a big, big question mark. They're still trying to find answers. Some already know by heart that they need to have a different mindset to do that, but some are still struggling with that. So that, of course, leads to high turnover, and that is a huge cost on them. And the second one that we hear every single day, I believe, is the engagement rates. Mm. And we know in the last 10 years, Gallup has been doing these surveys and there's no improvement whatsoever, (laughs) right? It's still 30% of people, depending where you are in the world, it's like from 50 to 30% of people really getting more engaged at what they do. So again, that's another big question mark hanging on their heads. How do we do that? How do we engage people? And sometimes they ask it for the wrong reasons because they want to get more out of people. More productive doesn't mean it's always a good thing for their people, but they have that lingering on top of their heads is what I see. Hmm. Yeah. And I had a friend very early, about a year ago in the podcast, Gary Adamson made this point. Mm -hmm. It just echoes in my mind. Mm -hmm. And I heard it when you said that. He said, if you are disengaged at work, Mm-hmm. you're disengaged from life. Yeah. Going yeah. back to that, what my father said, because we spend so much of our time at work, yes. you can't shut yourself off yes. for 8, 10, 12 hours a day yes. and then just turn yourself back on. Yeah, yeah. And like Bob Chapman talks about that too, because he recognizes those people when they go home, they are bringing that bad energy with themselves Mm -hmm. and then it affects the whole family. So it's not only the people at work, everybody that is around us, all our loved ones are getting some of that energy, bad or good. If it's good, great. But yeah, unfortunately, so true. Right. So another truism here is that what happens at work doesn't stay at work. Yes. Whether it's good or bad. Yes. So like you say, and I think about this, Brooke, I think about, you know, somebody that just works in a toxic environment. Mm -hmm. From the moment they get in the door, and I know people, I've worked there before. Yeah. (laughs) Our daughter, I was telling her the other day, I'm happy to see her happy at work now. Because Mm. I remember, it wasn't that long ago, about two o'clock on Sundays, she started getting down because Monday morning was coming and Monday morning meant going back to that job that she hated. And then, you know, the moment you get there on Monday, what are you doing? You're counting down till Friday. (laughs) No way to live life. So five and a half, six days of your life, you're either regretting what's about to happen or can't wait for it to get over. I know, I know. Something's got to change. And then if somebody's like that, 
when they leave the office, wherever they stop on their way home, the grocery store, the Mm -hmm. daycare to pick up their child, what are they doing? They're just spreading that negative energy. So what happens at work doesn't stay at work. So when we're talking about this, we want to see a world where humans first work is happening in workplaces. The ripple effect of that Mm-hmm. is enormous of course of course and we don't ever even look into that and nothing like that in that scope is measured but yeah that's why may having more people happy at work is gonna i really believe it's gonna make a huge change in the world in many different aspects that we don't even talk about yeah i totally agree with that yeah okay. so now you personally you have a global perspective on this because you do a lot of international work. What of this do you see? What of this human's first framing mm-hmm. is truly global? I think we are like in the same phases, even like I am originally back from Turkey. So, and Turkey is not doing so well in many different aspects, unfortunately. But when they call me in to make, give a speech about purpose, I'm always almost thinking, oh my God, there's so many bigger issues than purpose at work. How am I going to even talk about this topic? So it's just like, I have to get present to that. But then when you go there and there is amazing people from amazing organizations who are doing so much progress to work, they are right up there where we are in the United States too. So it's, I think it's a consciousness level that we're seeing in every different place. And I've been at a happiness at work conference just a couple of weeks ago, and there were people from all around the world in that academy too. And that's what I heard from all of them, people from Chile, from Mexico. Mm -hmm. There was one person from Czech Republic. You see that our numbers are not that big yet, but that awakening is happening everywhere. Mm -hmm. Everybody has that common pain that they feel at work and that's why anybody who's opening up the conversations like you and I do in anywhere in the world it's just getting so much more attention than it used to 10 years ago Mm -hmm. so I think and also reading the book Dying for a Paycheck Mm -hmm. from that Stanford professor I think is a great book that we needed in our space talks about everywhere in the world too that The work is the number one stress factor and stress is the number one factor for people getting sick. And he gives examples from all around the world. Mm. So it's not only in the United States. It's not only in Europe. It's not only in India. Everywhere there is some awakening that work has to change and human needs to come first. That's how I feel, at least from my perspective. Okay, so you've used the word awakening twice in just the last (laughs) few moments here. Brooke, that is a word I love. Uh So talk about the awakenings you see. And what are some conversations you've had Uh with executives that are just beginning to awaken to this? Yes. So one of them, I would say, is like to make a distinction between what the leaders or CEOs or founders are trying to make people happy. They still use some old tools. And what we call them maybe today with a great distinction made at that Happiness Academy was like they cause more job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. What are things like that? Like, of course, giving a good salary, good compensation plan, bonuses, 
free coffee at work, like a ping pong table here and there, some restrooms somewhere and people who can take breaks. And all of that are great ideas and we are not against them, but they don't cause the sustainable happiness at work. Real happiness at work comes from more intrinsic things that we need as human beings. And that's usually our relationships at work. If we find meaning and purpose in what we do, if we see what we do on a daily basis, how that contributes to a bigger purpose than just making money. So making more meaning at work besides making money are the contributing factors for changing the engagement having more creativity, innovation. Those are the things. But unfortunately, what we're seeing is most leaders still believe that like maybe a gym at the workplace or a wellness program or free coffee, free something at work is going to increase the engagement. No, it only increases the job satisfaction. And it, after a while, it becomes something that you feel entitled to. Of course, the company is going to give me free coffee. So it doesn't add more value to what you do. And now people are understanding there's so much more to getting people to be more engaged than giving them these wonderful things, which, like I said, I'm not against them, but that's not enough. So that's yeah. one common thing I see. Okay, so I love this part of the conversation, Brooke. Uh And I think there are a lot of folks who have misunderstood this Mm -hmm. that have thought, oh, there are amenities that we could provide that would allow people to become more engaged. So talk again a little bit about this distinction between job satisfaction. So there's a difference between complaining less Mm -hmm. and being engaged. Is that what I hear you saying? Yes, a part of it is that, but like all those things that you, we think with our minds that is going to work for people to be more engaged or more happier at work only works for a short time, short duration, perfect, but it doesn't add more value to what they do. So there's the distinction is between job satisfaction, happiness at work. They're two very different things, but we always blur them and feel like they're the same. And I think the awakening starts with the leaders when they see the difference. Okay. And they see that, like what I had to do for myself at IBM, right? I had to sit down and see what my daily work does for a bigger, like, audience. to a, something bigger. Correct. You, the work you do yes. actually makes a difference in the world. Correct. And when the awakening happens, and when I work with my clients, for example, once they figure out what their purpose is beyond profit, mm-hmm. what they need to do that is to be part of their business strategy. And right. what that means is every decision you make, you have to see if that's still aligned with your purpose or not. Mm -hmm. Because if it is to touch more people's lives and that's your purpose, you cannot lay off people every time you go through a bad time. And what Bob Chapman or Gary Rich and everybody else did is like they take everybody gets a little bit less money maybe, but they keep everybody together as a team because they still want to align with their purpose. So those type of values Mm -hmm. and purpose and vision 
makes a huge difference in the real happiness at work. It's more than job satisfaction. And those are the lasting ones because Mm -hmm. then you feel like you are really contributing to something bigger than what you do on a daily basis. You are part of something much bigger and people just have this intrinsic yearning we all have to want to make meaning nobody wants to get out of this life feeling like they haven't done and contributed nothing i mean when you think that's one of the questions that i ask when i'm one-to-one with my clients what do you want to say about your life when Mm. you're 90 and sitting at your porch what do you want to say we leave behind what do you want your legacy to be And that's a big question to ask leaders, especially. They really get that. Absolutely. Yes. So I answered it in a very long way, but hopefully I answered it. You did. And along the way, you triggered another thought in my mind. Medtronic. Are you familiar with Medtronic? They're a manufacturer of medical devices. So a factory. Uh Okay. You know, they have folks that could basically see that we come to work, work on an assembly line making widgets. Mm Mm-hmm. And I believe this was when Bill George was the CEO, that someone somewhere had the idea, hmm, what if, since we make medical devices, we found patients whose lives have been transformed by the device that we manufacture here in our plant. And they started bringing in these patients whose lives had been transformed and all of a sudden they're telling their story to factory workers and factory workers engagement went through the roof. Why? We're not making widgets. We're saving lives. We're changing the quality of life. You know, and Adam Grant found the same thing. He shares in the give and take book, the study of fundraisers for scholarship funds at universities. They were just raising funds. Well, when they met the actual students and heard their stories of what the scholarship had done for them, all of a sudden they were motivated at a different level. So there are ways to take what's even seems depersonalized and infuse it with meaning that then allows somebody to embrace purpose. Definitely, definitely. And my son, for example, he's a computer scientist and he writes codes and he's in the IT department, but he was working for a biotechnology company. It says like, I said, like, don't look at what you do on a daily basis. It's not coding only. Why do you doing coding? There's going to be more advancements in the health of people. Because that's what your company does. Because if everybody can look into that bigger contribution and tie it into a bigger purpose, really your feeling of how you go to work every day changes. And it doesn't have to be the most altruistic job or something that makes it to the headlines of a newspaper, right? It could be something so simple. Like I have read it in one of the books too, like a guy with a stop sign. They ask, like, isn't that boring for you every day? He says, no, I keep people safe on the street by holding that stop sign. So it's how you see your job that makes a huge difference, too. So how does just a personal perspective of purpose? So when we talk about purpose, I want to engage you two levels of conversation. One is the company helping Mm -hmm. bring purpose and infuse purpose throughout the company. Mm -hmm. It's great when that happens, but if you're a person working in a company where that's not happening, you as an individual can still 
infuse your work with purpose and meaning. Do you agree with that? Yes, totally agree with that. Of course, the ideal and ideal, which we're all working on, is for companies to have a very clear purpose where they share with every stakeholder, their people, their clients, because that's what's going to work better in the future for sure. But even if that doesn't happen, when I work one-to-one with my clients, I say the same thing. That's what we're trying to figure out. Like I had to do 25 years ago on my own. Okay, what does that everyday do? tasks that you do translate into. Look at what your company is trying to achieve. If it's there, for example, something like as simple as like there may be manufacturing cleaning supplies, but maybe the company is trying really hard not to harm the environment by that. So you are part of that company who is making sure that they have the best cleaning supplies without harming anyone in that Mm -hmm. whole run, right? So everybody can sit down and take the time to figure out what makes meaning for them, what's meaningful for them on their own. And do you know the story of the three masons? They're putting bricks together, right? It's the same. One looks at the light, I put bricks together. The second one says, I'm building a wall. But the proudest one and the most motivated one says, I'm building a cathedral. And nobody maybe taught them to say that. It's the way they look at it. And maybe it's just a made-up story, but that could be very well part of a real life story too. We definitely have a responsibility to look into what we do and make meaning out of that. Hmm. But if it would the ideal situation would be to work at a company where our purposes is aligned. Right. And when I work with organizations, that's what I want them to do to change the hiring process so that it's not about the only the experience, the skill sets, but like those are the one of the first questions. This is what we value in this company. This is our purpose. And how do you relate to that? Or do you relate to that? Does that make you more excited? And when you find a good match between those two, then amazing things happen, of course. Absolutely. So I'm so glad you said that because both with purpose and values Mm -hmm. in our work, we're encouraging, and you recently, I believe, met with Gary Ridge, right? From Yes, w- I did. W- yes, yes. Uh-huh. I just love Gary. I love the work yes. that you do there and how values and purpose are integrated at every level of the company. So it's not like we just hire people and then we hope to convert <laughs> you of our values or yes. we hope to convert you to our values. No, we're going to use values yes. in the hiring process. We're yeah. going to values to attract the right people. Back to Southwest Airlines. I don't know if you know, at Southwest Airlines, the receptionist and the security guard are both part of the hiring process. Yes. If a candidate comes in and is complaining to the security guard about how far they had to park and walk (laughs) to the building, or if they're rude to the receptionist, they realize you're not a fit for us. Yes, I know. And I love that. You know, yeah. you put on your smiley face for the interviewee, yes. the interviewer, everybody's yes. involved. Yes. So of things I just love, and that's when you see a company is values-based, purpose-driven. It's there from top to bottom. 
Definitely, definitely. And then I think it was either a conversation with Gary Ridge or that happiness conference. I love the idea that people get rewarded, right? And companies mostly for the sales that they bring, new clients. That's what we reward, right? But in these type of companies, they reward the people who have been acting based on the values, aligned with values, and how much of a good presentation they make out of the values of the company. I think that's brilliant too, because we are really so used to like rewarding, giving presents and gifts and bonuses only on money, on the profit or money they bring. But how about like really acknowledging people because they have been so true to the company values mm. and being a great example of that. I think that's an amazing way to motivate people too. So Brooke, look down the road a little bit, uh-huh. three years, five years. As this human's first work flourishes, as our work with purpose and meaning flourishes, what's different in the workplace of the future that you hope to see? To have the number of people who believe in this to be definitely increasing is what I'm hoping for, because with all the technological changes that we don't even talk about, and I'm not an expert on that at all, do you see that a big portion of the jobs that require high levels of IQ and analytical mind will be able to be done by machines and like robots and everything. And what we need more of in the workplace, which we didn't have enough of, is the emotional intelligence that we should bring in. Because the machines and computers are still not good at that, thank God. So what makes us special, what is going to be needed more in the workplace is definitely more emotional intelligence skills. So that's what I'm hoping for. And then more and more companies and leaders jumping on this boat so that we get there fast. Because I feel like people who are not listening to all the changes or not doing something about it today are going to be really be left behind. And it's going to be much harder to catch up with Mm. the pace of change that we're going through. I don't believe like the way I was looking at the world and at the time when I was at IBM, they were only looking at five, 10 years ahead because of the technology, right? But the pace that we're moving into the future of work is so much faster now. You really, really have to get a good grip on things very much so today than leaving and looking what your competition is doing. You will be left behind so fast. That's one of my excitement and my probably my sense of urgency comes from that. Let's talk more about this. Let's make sure that this awareness is spreading all around the world because there's not going to be too much time to catch up. That's how I feel. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. All right. So let's go back to LA meeting. Yes. When people left there, the contrast, the difference you saw in people Mm -hmm. from the beginning of the meeting to the end of the conversation. How did people change? I think they had a sense of, like I said, a tribe is a big and uh, loaded word in my opinion. So I don't take it lightly that they said they found their tribe, but they felt like they even shared very personal stuff that had nothing to do with work, which was very surprising, but it's so heartwarming for all of us that they found that safe space to share some of the stuff that they haven't even shared with their loved ones. So it was beautiful to watch that because 
it made us feel like humbly so that we were able to create that safe environment for them to share some of their most personal stuff too. So it, I feel like there was some relief because they didn't know what they were stepping into. They came to this very unknown, who knows what they were going to talk about type of event with their trust in us, not knowing too much about us, not knowing too much about the human first movement. But they came and spent hours and hours with us. So it wasn't only half an hour, an hour, but three hours and more with us. So that showed us like, okay, they really want to be in this conversation from the maybe the big question mark face they had at the beginning went away. They really felt like they know what we are all about and what we're trying to do. And some of the things that they said was there was nothing salesy because nobody was trying to sell them anything. It was really to have a great and very intimate conversation. And most of them really pitched in and said and shared some of their own stories. So it was beautiful to watch from the beginning to the end. Hmm. of gaining their trust, their confidence, making them feel a little bit more human, hopefully. Hmm. And hopefully the fact that they want to take this back to their work. And they had very brilliant ideas on how to do that. Really, really concrete, practical steps that they want to take back to work the next day. I think that was really beautiful for us to watch, hmm. I would say. Hmm. I'm really moved by your comment of people sharing things that they've not shared other places, Yes, which makes me wonder when we have this bifurcation of work and personal, Yes, we're not just asking people to leave something at home. We're asking them to cut themselves off yes. <laughs> from parts of themselves. And when we do that, we're not getting the whole person at work. Yes. So I'm just thinking, wow, what an opportunity to bring emotional intelligence into the workplace mm -hmm. and allow people to show up with everything mm -hmm. and not compartmentalize. The world of work is looking different. So let me ask this. Well, our time's getting away from us. Sure. What is something that would allow you to, you know, kind of wrap this conversation, put a bow around this conversation, bring it to a fitting close for you? Yeah, I think, first of all, I would say believe that it is possible to be human first because it all boils down to our belief system. Hmm. And when I am with leaders, that's one thing that I say. If you believe it is possible, to treat people with dignity and respect that they deserve and make them feel they matter, whatever their job is, from the top to the bottom, what they do contributes to a bigger purpose. It will bring the best results for your organization and for everyone, not only for the leaders or the executives or only for the shareholders, but for everyone. So I want them to at least, and I want all the listeners you out there to really question your beliefs about how a workplace should exist. Why mm -hmm. should they exist? And if you have a belief that profit should come first, it does that like depend on anything or did you ever question that the reverse could be possible, mm. that the profit really becomes a byproduct. So that's one thing I invite every one of you to 
like really question your beliefs about how a workplace should exist and how people should be treated because that's going to be the biggest challenge that we all have and that's how you're going to move forward and if you never question the belief system that we had 450 plus years this is how businesses work so this is the way it should go i think that's going to work against us mm. so i would think that that would be the biggest thing human first because we are human first and until all the robots and machines steal all our jobs, we are there and organizations do not mean anything without their human beings. Mm. So why not carry all the purpose and everything we believe into the workplace as well and not cut ourselves off because that's not possible anyways. Yeah. It's not possible. And if we're going through a tough time with our family, a loved one, a sick one, we are going to carry that with us to work. Right. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay, Brooke, thank you so much for joining. For people that are wanting to connect with you more deeply, get more of Brooke into their life, how do they do that? Well, I am like, you know, we met on social media, so we're usually active on social media together. So that would be on LinkedIn. You can find Brooke Errol. You can connect with me. I write there. Also, you can connect with me. Purposeful.business is my website. So I write there and I have a blog there too, because I think it's important for all of us to stay in this high vibration place where we do not fall into our back and old habits and stay really true to these new concepts or not new concepts, but all concepts that are taking place to disrupt the workplace right now. And I think that's why it's good to listen and hear everybody else's stories and read the articles that we all share so that we can stay in this high vibration to change the world one organization at a time, one leader at a time. And I'm also on Twitter, B-O-E-R-O-L-1. So probably with Brooke Errol, you can find me too. And before I end any of that, I also want to really appreciate what you're doing, Kevin, because I think you have a great place in our community, in our tribe, because you're carrying all these messages out there. You're voicing our messages and sharing them with a broad audience. And I think it's very much needed not to strike or stroke our egos, but really to make this awareness, this awakening happening in the world, which is very much needed for our future. Well, thank you, Brooke. And as I said it, I guess I said that maybe, yeah, in the beginning of our conversation, I was trying to think it was before or after I hit record. I think it was after. What a generous community this is. Yes. And we all see, we all bring something to the party. It's kind of like that stone soup. Yes. We're all contributing what we have to contribute. And together, we really are better together. And so that's the message of Humans First is we are better together. So thank you for contributing to this conversation and just being a light in the work you do and just sharing hope that work can be better and brighter. Thank you, Brooke. Yes. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. I appreciate your time too. Thanks for having me. Brooke, thanks so much for joining us. I loved 
that conversation. And I just love the way you were still beaming and glowing from a Humans First Club meeting. We'll put a link here in the show notes where you can find out the schedule for other Humans First Club events. There's one coming up, coming to Chattanooga, March 27th. Join us. You can participate with Claude Silver, Jacqueline Jenkins, Marcel Schwantez, Mike Vacanti, and me. We'll all be there having a blast and hope you're able to join us. Okay, the other key points from this conversation with Brooke. You know, if you believe it's possible, it will bring better or the best results for everyone. Think about that. What is it that you believe is possible in and through your work today? Find those aspirations and let them bring out the best for everyone. And then I just love this, Brooke. I love this. Find your tribe. You, I, we can't do it alone. This Humans First family is an amazing tribe. Find your place in it. As Mike Vacanti founder says, the, the Humans First Club is the least exclusive club you'll ever be a member of. You belong. You're welcome. Show up. Join in. Hey, I want to encourage you. Till next time, live, love, lead, and serve with purpose. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Higher Purpose Podcast. Are you wanting to grow as a Humans First leader and connect in meaningful conversation with other Humans First leaders? Join the Humans First Book Club, where they dive deep into a book a month and engage the authors in conversation. Go to humansfirstbookclub.com.